I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is created on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Wurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nations and I pay my respect to their elders past and present. I extend this respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples connected to each of the hundreds of countries around so-called Australia. I acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Law, the podcast. I am Rose Inglis, founder of Rose Tinted Law and your host. RTL is a professional development platform for curious and open-minded legal professionals. This podcast is a space to have honest conversations about legal careers with people who are boldly carving out their unique place in our profession. Today, I sit down with Sarah Wee. If you are a lawyer on LinkedIn, you will be familiar with Sarah's career journey. To very briefly summarise, Sarah has enjoyed a fascinating career journey which has seen her complete law school in Paris, then land her first graduate role in-house at a technology firm in London, and then eventually to her dream job being created for her at ContractPod AI, where she is now. Sarah is also the founder of legal design consultancy Law But How. And she is responsible for some of the most interesting and informative lawyer LinkedIn content there is. Now, Sarah has discussed her fascinatingly bold, unconventional and successful legal career path elsewhere, including on Mel Scott's Council podcast, which I will link for you in the show notes. Today's episode is solely focused on discussing all the entrepreneurial things. In the first part of our conversation, we discuss anything and everything about LinkedIn, how to show up, what to talk about, and how to develop your thought leadership and build a personal legacy. If you have ever asked me or asked yourself, where do I start? What do I say? How do I not be cringy and be authentic? Then this conversation is for you. Sarah and I then proceed to talk about all the nitty gritty of founding and growing your own business. We talk about success and failure and mistakes and sacrifices and everything in between. This episode is for all the legal entrepreneurs, all the budding legal entrepreneurs who dream about stepping out of their comfort zone, redefining success on their own terms and starting their own startup. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you. My dear friend from far, far away, but close to my heart, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rose. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yay. Can you please just introduce yourself to the audience and let us know what you are up to these days? I am Sarah. I am a, a recovering head of, uh, former head of legal. <laughs> I'm more recently a commercial director at Contract with AI. Amazing. And I'm an entrepreneur as well, founder of uh, Law But How, and I'm in business to heal the boredom of the legal industry. Love it. Same here from a different perspective. What do you do at Law But How? Currently, my business really is at the intersection of visual legal design and content creation. Mm -hmm. And I really do have um, two types of clients. Number one, 
being in-house legal clients. I really uh, focus on giving in-house legal teams the skill that they need to visualize legal information. So that's really my uh, my core offering right there. And more importantly, it kind of triggered that mindset shift where legal doesn't have to be dull and, and boring. There are different ways you can make people follow your processes and, you know, if you if you have the right skill set. So that's my number one offer. Number two is visual legal design applied for social media. So I create a lot of visual content on LinkedIn, carousels, infographic. And this is how I get my customers. Mm-hmm. This is how I build my thought leadership. This is how I have increased my visibility, especially on LinkedIn, where I've exceeded, I think I have over 20,000 followers uh, right now. Incredible. Uh, I'm teaching uh, legal industry professionals to exactly do the same using my methods, which obviously lies around visual legal information. So that's about it. Amazing. I love seeing your content pop up so much because it's not boring. (laughs) It's interesting. I just wanted to go back to who your clients are. So is it in-house lawyers who are wanting to communicate better or in a different way to their internal stakeholders? Or is it in-house professionals wanting to go onto LinkedIn? Okay. So I have really two types of personas or people I'm selling to. When I deliver an in-house legal training, It's typically in-house legal teams who really want to communicate better with their internal clients. Yep. That's one offer. The other offer has a broader audience. It's legal industry professionals in general, Mm -hmm. from legal executives to uh, law firm partners to solo practitioners. And all they have in common is that they want to show up on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to do that in a stuffy, boring, traditional ways. They don't want to share blog posts. They want to have their own take on their practice area. They want to educate their audience, but in ways that is engaging, that is different from mm-hmm. what we are used to on LinkedIn, the text post. And they want to do that. And, and visual is something that, the visual medium is something that they, they resonate with. And this is what this is what I help them do. I think that's really interesting distinction to start with because the reason why I ask that is a lot of people are reaching out to me being like, I feel like I should be on LinkedIn, but I don't know really what my purpose is on there. And, you know, finding that reason, it's not just for people who are looking for a job, although that is a really important first step, but I really liked what you say about the skills being transferable because as lawyers, we are taught to communicate in a very, very strict way. There is no room for creativity. It's Mm. following a precedent. It's following the law. It's following a very coherent structure for a written communication. And even if it's advocacy in a courtroom or mediation, you still follow a fairly strict set of conventions. So I also think that's a reason why lawyers really, some of us actually quite like the creative outlet that showing up on social media provides. And it's really good that we can make our communication style more sophisticated and challenge ourselves in that way. I think it's helpful. It makes it less cringy. (laughs) This is very true. (laughs) What did you do to upskill yourself from being an in-house lawyer with a bit of a passion or a, a a bit of an interest in visual content creation to actually, you know, becoming 
world expert on it. Uh, definitely, for me, it was organic upskilling mm. at first. Um, I just, when I was in-house, I was just trying to deliver in-house legal services differently. So I changed our training materials. I changed our communication style. You know, I was like, you know, there is no way people are going to read a 20 pages long memo. So later on, our own customers. So that's why visualization came in. I was like, because I, I guess I was always a visual learner before. Yeah. I would always try to put things into table. And like, that's just how I, I was in law school. I was in, I could see my um, schoolmates literally uh, rewriting the entire class, um, the entire lecture. And I would do exactly the opposite. I would do bullet points, you know, principle, mm. exception, boom, boom, boom. Like I was the complete opposite and I would visualize things. So I've kind of, and I found it much more effective. So when I was in-house and I obviously the head of legal, so there was no one else really to challenge the way I was doing things. I would implement things and I saw success. Yeah, I saw mm. that we were uh, trusted. I saw that we were appreciated as a, as, as a legal function. With time, it became easier to get budgets, to get buy-in, because by using these different communication styles, we really created relationship, relatability, trust, and we positioned ourselves as business partners, which ultimately solved a lot of problems later down the line. So yeah, so I just upscaled I, I, you know, try and error, trying all sorts of things. And then I signed up to a graphic design school because I wanted to take it to the next level. I signed up to that. What um, kind of a time commitment and investment was your graphic design course? It was three, six, nine hours uh, a week. For how long? Ten months, I think. So it was big. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I really wanted to understand the world of visual design without necessarily becoming a full graphic designer myself because I don't think this is where my value add is. My mm. value add is in the bridge because I'm a legal professional, but understanding how the design world works really allows me to be the bridge and really build extremely effective legal information visualized. And the things I do are kind of at the intersection of different disciplines. So you have visual design, you also have plain language because there is no point trying to visualize legalese. You know? Yeah, no um, one wants that. No one wants that in any shape or form. No Get a headache just thinking about it. Exactly. There's no point trying to visualize here and after and uh, you know, yeah. things like that. So there's an element of plain language. There's an element of information, architecture, selection. You know, not everything is worth visualizing. You have to pick a battle. There's an element of obviously visual design and um you know, user centricity, client centricity. You have to mm. deeply understand what keeps your people awake at night. Ultimately, focus on solving those problems. So it's kind of an interesting mix bag of all of those disciplines combined that I offer, whether for my in-house legal clients or for mm. my social media clients. People who, and, and that's why I charge the rates I charge. I'm, you know, the things I do aren't cheap. And not everyone sees the value of that. You know, some people are like, well, I, I can do mm. a carousel myself. Yeah. And I can go on Canva and, and, and do it. And, and I'm like, yeah, you're missing the point. Everyone can do a carousel, but not everyone can grow an audience with carousels. Yes, that's so true. Is your advice to lawyers who think 
I should get on to social media, but it's a bit cringe or I don't really know what to post. And they're not looking for a job. They want to do it to develop their thought leadership because I was approached literally by someone last week. They're like, I want to start building my thought leadership and my personal brand because people are realizing that that gives you longevity far beyond your current role. Mm. But then it's also a signal to your current employer that you might be thinking ahead. And it's a bit of a challenge. So do you have any advice to people in that situation? Yeah, I mean, people obviously reach out to me for this exact reason. They just don't know how to show up. But the fact that they are asking themselves questions is already a good start because it means that, you know, they are kind of realizing the potential social media can have for them. To answer your question, they can start very in a very subtle way. What, what I mean by that is the first thing you can do is move away from the invisible side of LinkedIn, which is just consuming content, but not engaging. Commenting on other people's posts. If you don't have yet the courage to, to do your own, start mm-hmm. with commenting on other people's posts. So you have to move the needle from zero to one. That scenario, start commenting. Even if it's five minutes a day, top three creators, just do that. And when I say comments, you know, you can start the first week by just saying, thanks for sharing, I agree. And then week two, you can start taking it a step further, share your own insights, your own opinions. And mm-hmm. the idea is to kind of make you comfortable incrementally with uh, being on this platform. And then eventually you will start creating your own content. It might just start with a post. Right? But everyone you've been interacted with, everyone, everyone who's posting, because you've been posting a lot, uh, sorry, because you've been commenting a lot on their posts, they will start reciprocating. It gives you an element of a boost, even though you might not have a lot of traction in the beginning. The mm. few people you've engaged with might reciprocate because you've been engaging with them. And, you know, slowly and surely you start becoming more confident. You realize that you, you're not dead. You haven't lost your job. It's not that bad after all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's so that's where you start. What about the next step, getting creating your own content pillars or your topics or something more substantial? So for something more substantial, that's really where you have to think strategically. I've been on LinkedIn since 2018 and my content really picked up in 2021. As I always say to my clients, I'm the biggest failure I'm the worst student of my own services, of my own program. Uh, <laughs> That's like me. I'm excellent at giving advice, terrible at taking it. <laughs> yeah. I have wasted my time for three years because I didn't have a strategy. A lot of people on LinkedIn just not having it, having one. Yeah. They just post for posting sake or they post personal stuff, but it's not really linked to anything that, you know, looks like thought leadership at all. It's just personal story for attention purposes and that's that's so true and, and, and that is cringe you know like when you don't when you haven't added value to people it's not really helpful if you've added value to people through thought leadership you've told them something new you've inspired them and, and then you mm. open up on, on an emotional level that's powerful because they already respect you for your thought leadership but you now mm. create an emotional connection by being vulnerable and that mm. creates more relatability but if you just post personal stories after personal stories, but it's literally your open diary. It doesn't add really any value to anyone. And, mm. and therefore, you're not really making the most out of the platform. So have a strategy by really thinking hard about what is it that you want to be known for? What you want to be known for is a mix of the who, the what, the how, and the why. 
So mm-hmm. who is it that you're targeting? It could be in-house counsel. Mm-hmm. What is it that you do? It could be implementing a contract lifecycle management solutions. How are you, are you doing it? It could be consultancy. And why are you doing it? What's the bigger picture? You know, yeah. um, and that, and you're doing that because it could be a personal story. You were there before, you were a general counsel, and, and you've been through the pain of implementing a CLM, and you've lost a lot of time, talent, mm. money um, by picking up the wrong product. So it could be a personal story. And now you don't want anyone else to go through that. So that's the reason why you're doing it. And what are the big problems you're solving? You know, uh, why your audience should listen to you? Well, you will save money, you will save time, your team will end up fulfilling. Uh, will end up more fulfilled because they will be focused on high value work as opposed to repetitive NDAs. So yeah, so really kind of carve out that niche. That's your niche, right? And do you know what? That process can take a while. It's taken me a long time to kind of land on that. What do I want to be known for? And who am I creating my content for? And everything that I do, I actually am like me five years ago or my friends or someone who's popped up in my DMs sometimes. I'm like, that specific person. <laughs> and then that's the stuff that lands the best. But it, it can take a while to it, get the hang of it. And I don't, I don't like the styles where it's like, here's a personal post, yada, yada. I'm like, okay. Anyway, some people are good at it. Some people love it. Sometimes the algorithm loves it too. People get hundreds of likes. Would you say with your engagement, do you take a quality over quantity of your audience or do you go quantity quantity like the more the better likes followers Mm. engagement when I was a bit more perhaps novice you know more when I was in the I I kind of assumed that quantity equaled success you know you look at vanity metrics and you think you've made it I've had a couple of my posts gone viral including the legal career iceberg which was I used once (laughs) which I gave you full credit for (laughs) it's so good (laughs) And then someone did it from me too, <laughs> which I was like, yeah. Sarah's. <laughs> a lot of people do icebergs now. No, it, it, it is a really, it's a data visualization uh, technique and, and it really obviously can land home if you can tie it back to your niche. But I'm no career uh, coach, right? So yes, I have received, I mean, just for the context, I've put an iceberg out. If you go on my LinkedIn profile, you will see it. And I'm basically saying in there, you know, this is what you can do with a law degree. On top, you had the traditional legal careers, partners and associates, so forth. And under the iceberg, all the new roles emerging, you know, and working in legal technology, being a legal designer and, and so on and so forth. Somehow, this iceberg that I've made in 15 minutes had reached half a million people. <laughs> And I just, to this date, I just don't understand why. I think this is just something that resonated a lot in our industry because people are, a lot of people are unfulfilled in their careers that are burnt out or bore out or they don't necessarily, Mm. they've been fed their whole career that, you know, becoming a lawyer was the, yeah, like, you know, the the, the whole purpose in life. And then they realize five ways, uh, five years forward that it's just not working for them and they're not happy. and, And maybe that's why, I don't know resonated with a lot of people but the bottom line is yes it's reached over half a million people but it didn't equal half a million in the bank <laughs> yeah you know and 
I've had a lot of DMs, you know, people saying, thank you for sharing. And, you know, like I'm burnt out. And, you know, people sharing all sorts of stories. I've changed careers. And, and yeah. yes, it was great. But at the end of the day, if it was a career coach who had posted this, that would have been really good for them because it yeah. would have been right on the money. It would have been very relevant for their niche, but not really for mine. I'm not, I'm not a career coach. So back to your question, quantity doesn't equal success. Quantity doesn't equal dollars. And now I'm really not too bothered about the number of people liking, engaging, etc. Yeah. Because most clients have never liked, commented any of my yeah. posts. Yet they reach out to me saying that they've been following me for years. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, where the hell have you been? <laughs> yeah, I had a very vested interest in that question because <laughs> I've got a very small but engaged following on all of my platforms. Mm-hmm. It doesn't grow a whole heap, but I kind of know where most people come from. Like, that's how small it is. But people love it and really engage with it. And then, you know, where they find the podcast, I get beautiful messages and then it kind of spreads organically. And I do genuinely think that the social media platforms are so flooded. Like it's really hard to break in. And like LinkedIn like sponsors people now. So like obviously they're the ones that have got to go viral now, you know? Anyway, it's interesting to think about, but I do love it because it's you get in front of the right people and even if it's just impressions, you know that they're impressions of the right people and they mm-hmm. are just seeing it, you know, or you know because when you see them, they tell you. It's so true. What I've come to realise with my social media offering is that, yes, there might be thousands of legal professionals out there wanting to build an audience on LinkedIn. Yeah. But this isn't to say that they would or be a fit for my program. And there's a reason why I only work with five people at the time. And because I realized that some people want to be on LinkedIn, but they are—they want to be on LinkedIn for the quick win. They have a very mm. transactional mindset. They want to get before they give. Yes. And I don't want to work with this kind of people. They're, it's strictly for business development pur- purposes. They're probably uh, in a right. BD role or a founder role or a, something similar. And they just, they want clients and they want to convert that. But I feel like that's obvious when that's someone's strategy because it's it's boring. It's just, it's not really, I guess you're not really building a legacy when you do that. That's, that's, yeah. that's And that's what I try to always remind my clients is that, you know, for some people that you will have, some of you will have success in over the next two to three weeks because you have a, you just happen to be a niche that is very active on LinkedIn. For some of you, Nothing really substantial will necessarily come up, but change your perspective and look at it from the lenses of being early in the game because no one else is doing what you do. Yeah. Take it as an opportunity to be the first because when you're the first, you instantly become the go-to. Yeah. Everyone else that comes after you becomes a you version of like, you know, everyone will compare them to you because you were there first. Yes. And I was one of the, I mean, I started to create content on LinkedIn in 2018. No one else was doing that. I was on TikTok and I did in-house legal TikTok videos in 2020 where no one else was doing that. And now, I mean, you've seen how the landscape has changed. The landscape of creators in the legal industry has changed. That's a really interesting distinction that you just touched on. The difference between thought leadership and business development. Mm -hmm. What's the distinction in your eyes and what, makes one better than another to me you can sell through thought leadership you can sell by not selling and that's where content um is an extremely powerful way of building trust 
building a rapport, relatability, until you become the only choice. When you do pure standard business development in, in a, like the salesy, you know, bad press kind of practices, people get annoyed. They don't know who you are. You just reach out to them out of the blue. They, you know, you haven't necessarily established a rapport. Whereas whether you do outreach, so whether you reach out to people who've liked your post, who've commented, who visited your profile after you posted something, or whether people reach out to you, you are already one step closer to them because mm. they already know who you are. They've, they're already engaged with a couple of your posts. So whether they reach out to you or whether you reach out to them, there is already an element of connection. And that's a good way to get the conversation started. So I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. I would say that you can do both at the same time. Building your thought leadership, by building authority, by adding value to others, you attract people who are interested mm. in what you have to say. You build mm. trust by sharing your opinions, mistakes you've made or you've seen others making. And ultimately, you then build relatability by being vulnerable and sharing more personal stories. Mm-hmm. And, and once you don't know that, for anyone who might need what you have to offer, you, it becomes a no-brainer. Yeah. And it's more powerful than just reaching out to people one-on-one and people don't know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> my LinkedIn's gone crazy with just randoms coming into my DMs trying to sell me something. I'm like, no. And I would never do that from someone I don't know. Yeah. But there must be like a new update to LinkedIn or they've, they've given a free offer to a lot of people or something. <laughs> I'm like, it's cringe. Yeah, it's not So that was Sarah on all things LinkedIn. I really liked her emphasis on building thought leadership and authority and trust with your connections rather than focusing on likes or engagement or growth. It really is a quality over quantity approach. I also wanted to talk to Sarah about all the nitty gritty behind the scenes things about creating and growing your own business. In this second part of the conversation, we talk about monetizing your passions and how to know when the timing is right to take the bold decision and dedicate more time and energy to building your own business rather than someone else's. The reality is, is that success always comes with sacrifice. Professional success may be derived from a corporate job, or it may be derived from founding your own business, or in Sarah's case, it may come through a combination of the two. But whichever version of success you take, this inevitably comes with sacrifice. Money, time with family and friends, passion, creativity, financial security, prestige, respect. Success is a constant negotiation. And one thing that I'm often thinking about is what are we sacrificing to enjoy our current version of success? So in this part of the conversation, Sarah and I talk about all of this. We talk about success and failure and mistakes and how we learn and grow and evolve over time according to our own values. Stay tuned. I know you will love this part of the conversation. we talk about monetizing your passion because I think that is just well that's the dream really I don't want to go in too much about your career history because you talk about it so generously on all sorts of other podcasts and I'm going to link some of them in the show notes but recently you have made the really exciting and bold move from going two days a week 
at your hotshot corporate job to go more in at Law But How. Can you please talk us through what led to that move and how did you know you were ready to make it? Yeah, sure. A couple of things. Um, number one, I think it, it was time for me to consider Law But How as more than a side hustle. And more than a side hustle means that you have to give it more time, headspace, efforts for it to grow sustainably. So that's, you know, and, and, and if it meant sacrificing the comfort of a full-time job, that's the price I have to pay and, and I can pay for it. There's an element of sacrifice knowing that, you know, that's the right thing to do if I want to take low but how to the next level. Yeah. Number two, I got married in October like, last year. Yay, so. congratulations. So being not being single anymore means that I have to make more time for all of those aspects of my personal life. Because yeah. when you marry someone, it's not just a person. It's also, you know, the, the family, the birthdays. And I knew that yeah. before I would do my content over the evenings, weekends, etc. And I yeah. was like, okay, now I just, my, my weekends, are, I just can't do that anymore. So yeah. That's the, the, the other reason. So making more space for, for other aspects of my life. And number three, I think what gave me the ultimate confidence to, to answer your question is really coming across a product market fit. Yeah. It's, and I've put out something to the world that found its, its market and that is working and that is giving great results, referrals and testimonials from clients. That's a wonderful position to, to, to be in. And, and that's kind of also what gave me that extra level of, of comfort that, you know what? Yes, I'm going to sacrifice my salary and my earnings short term. Because, I, I mean, all the money I make from Robert Howe, I don't use it. I just, you know, reinvest and reinvest. So, yeah, I'm going to get a bit poorer for, for yes. a couple of months, if not years. I don't know how long it's going to take. Yeah. But if you, because I'm on the, I'm on the path of, of building something that I genuinely enjoy and that is meaningful yeah. and that helps people, that's what it takes. I love that you've just acknowledged that because I have very much gone through the same thing with Rose Tinted Law. And I've seen other founders do this and the ones that really succeed, the business needs the passion, the creativity, the vision, the time, the resources, the vision of the founder to do it. And when you are in a niche, like you are, like I am, you're not really copying anyone. (laughs) Sometimes kind of wish I was, (laughs) but you know, we're teaching each other new skills, kind of figuring out what our shtick is and, you know, what we want it to be. And that takes a lot of time and it is really hard. Like I've obviously got a married and have a toddler and another one on the way. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So being at a different life stage and then thinking about how that impacts your career and when the personal and the professional and you're like, I don't want to work like that anymore. I don't have it in me. I have different priorities, but I have to do this thing. It can be hard. And you're like, hang on, but we've been taught it has to be the money and the prestige and the busyness and this, like that success and that that's what it should be. It's so much more motivating when you see the potential and you know it's there, but it just take you know, like it's just gonna take so much hard work to get there. Yeah, it yeah. is hard work. And it is a process ultimately. Mm. One thing I know is and I'm sure you can relate to that, uh, Rose, is that um it's never something you regret. 
Not no. Much, so it doesn't. No. Nah. That's why I quit. I said, well, I've quit lots of sensible jobs, but because I was like, I'm going to regret it if I don't do RTL now in between baby one and baby two. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing the last year is working on it and figuring out, you know, where's the need? Where am I best? Who am I serving? And, you know, what really lights me up? And there's a good niche there. And then I'm also building it right now and it's exciting, but it's hard. <laughs> but I love the podcast because it means we can just have DMs about all of this stuff. <laughs> 100%. Can we talk about work-life balance? As a founder, as a wife, as a, well, you've still got a, a, like a really successful corporate job as well. How do you do it all? Is there such thing as any balance? Oh, there is. It's just a matter of picking priorities and setting boundaries. So for example, for me, I don't work with everyone. In fact, I I say no more often than I say yes. And that should even be more restrictive. But the bottom line being is that when you have a product market fit and When you know who is going to benefit from your service, you can be very selective in who you work with. And that saves you the hassle of saying yes to everyone and anyone and lacking the headspace to do do anything else. So Mm. it's you need to have obviously something that adds value and and, and solve a genuine problem for people. But you also need to know who who will be the best ideal clients for that particular product. That ideal client, chances are that there are many of them. Right. And, and and that's why I'm better off just working with five people at a time than opening up to fifty, but mm. half of them don't do the work. I don't know, twenty percent complain, five percent <laughs> on time, you know, like I just don't yeah. want headaches. Yeah. So do you create the condition quality over quantity? Yes. And what and it's a very basic economic principle where when the demand is higher than the supply, it drives prices up. Prices go up. So this allows me to charge more. And therefore work less. And work less. What does so, your partner do, if you don't mind me asking? He's uh, in the IT head of product management, I think, uh, for Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So he's got a big, busy so, job too. Yeah. And that's also, you know, like when you go down to when it comes back to self-awareness a corporate job really works for him he yeah. doesn't need a hustle he doesn't need to do anything else like that that works fine for me yeah. corporate job is fine but i have the need of creating something of my own yeah now me too whether, yeah this is just how we it's are it's exactly and, like me and my husband he doesn't need it he's he's happy right yeah. sometimes i really envy that but then yeah. other times I'm just like, this is me. <laughs> some people have that itch and some people don't. And the fortunate yeah. ones get to scratch the itch like us. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I mean, I don't think I will ever make millions out of the things I do, but it's okay. It's not about the money. It's about the big picture purpose that you have mm. uh, in, your, in your career that a corporate job can't give you. Because at the end of the day, companies have their own agenda. So they will never prioritize your own goals ahead of theirs which, Mm. you know, makes sense. But this isn't to say that you can't build something on your own and that you can't monetize it. So, yeah, so so going back to that point, I mean, you have to make the time and you do that by setting boundaries, by being very intentional about how you spend your time and by saying no by default. If it's not a Mm -hmm. hell yes, it is a no. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Have you made any mistakes along the way? Oh, so many. (laughs) Me so too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about them. 
I can't remember who said, I think it was Seth Godin, I think, who said that um, failure is the tuition fee you pay for future, for future successes. You have to accept failing as long as you don't fail big. You have mm. to fail quick, fast, and often in order to, to, to achieve a bigger outcome. So one of the mistakes I've made was definitely the way I was spending my time spending way too much time on prospects that is a big mistake i've made i've talked about it on another podcast but you know like you just have people who are time vampires this yeah out of you they reach out to you because they seem interested you jump on a call for an hour and then nothing happens at, at the end of the hour and they're like oh let's have another call jump on another call and then they waste your time again and they don't know what they want yeah and i guess because I have a generous nature and I wouldn't take advantage out of people and I, and I wouldn't waste people's time if I'm not if I have if I haven't a genuine interest in buying something I wouldn't do that so and yeah and wrongly of me and you kind of tend to assume that everyone is like you and no some people just love talking and haven't yeah. made a decision and that's where I had to the day I had to spend five I think I can't remember if it was three or five hours on a prospect the day this happened that was my big failure and then these guys ghosted me that's mm. where i was like, this is enough this is enough i'm not doing this again i'm not wasting yeah. that much time on someone who hasn't bought so yeah the time vampires the pick my brain type of people reaching out that's a big no uh, now yeah don't waste your time because that was one of my mistakes number two i think wanting to people please so you know when people challenge you you kind of go into justification mode you try to justify your prices oh but that's too expensive and you try to justify why right that, that's a natural thing reaction that you have oh but it's this it's this price because of x y and z again the i mean I, i've learned with time that the more i was trying to justify myself the more i was losing because you are putting yourself in a defensive mode so you shouldn't really have to justify yourself that's you know? so true if, if someone challenges you and says it's it's expensive they've made up their mind already so confirm that yes yeah. it is yeah it is. Was it hard for you to get that confidence? Because it's it's pretty hard. I find that pretty hard to be like, no, nah, it's what it is. And like, mm. or was it like just over time that you believed in your value? Oh, or... it wasn't over time. So that links, that links to my third mistake, which is not investing in myself sooner. I invested in a business coach and that was one of the best investments I've made. Yeah. I've invested £5,000 in a business coach. Yeah. And... It really helped me shift my mindset and overcome my limiting belief because I used to, I was frustrated with only attracting time vampires and window shoppers and yeah. <laughs> people, yeah. people who reach out to me without budget or with a budget that is 500 bucks. And, and I was like, why do all the things I do really low value? like what's going on and, and it turned out that these were my limiting belief because until you believe that what you do is valuable no one is going to believe it for you so yeah i had to shift my mindset i had to go and that's what bi the business coach really helped me you know yeah. frame it off uh, stop trying to do low ticket type yeah. of things and really charge high ticket and be selective i followed those principles and and i'm amazed by you know the results it has given me and and i do also attract people who are willing to invest in themselves mm. because at the end of the day yes you want to make a six-figure out income for example but you're not even prepared to spend 5k in yourself to make yeah six yeah I, not logical so until i invested in myself a high amount of money only then 
I could shift my mindset and understand what truly makes people buy. It's not the price. It's not yeah. price at all. Yeah. It's the value that they get. Yes. And whether you are transactional or whether you are transformational. Yeah. I'm a big believer that investment in yourself is the best investment. That's a value that my husband and I both share. You mentioned your graphic design course, which I can see the value. <laughs> we can all see the value that's brought. Obviously, your business coach has been another biggie. Is there any other big ones that you've made along the way? I really invest continuously in mm. my growth. So yeah. I listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos for obviously people who kind of share these, you know, uh, beliefs. And I've read really awesome books recently that also, you know, kind of obviously confirm the things that I've learned so far. And a couple of books, Key Person of Influence. It's an amazing book. The three I'm going to give you come from uh, one author, Daniel, Daniel Priestley. He's Australian, by the way. Ooh. Um, uh, he's awesome. He's a serial entrepreneur, um, super successful. And his books are so tactical, so practical. So number one, that the first one I read was Key Personal Influence. I loved it so much. It made me order the other books he has. Um, and Love. The, the other one he has is Oversubscribed. And it really teaches you about how to run a successful business without uh, losing your soul and insanity with too many people to handle. Oh, uh, and- <laughs> it sounds like essential reading. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is. I mean, you would see it's just, it's really mind opening. The third one, which kind of is encompasses KPI and oversubscribe, is Entrepreneur Revolution. And the shift in paradigm that we are seeing and how we are moving away from the industrial world where your value was in the time, where you would invest in something and, and everything you did was a commodity to the Entrepreneur Revolution. Uh, the entrepreneur world where everyone can pretty much become a small business owner that has a high value impact. So you don't need capital anymore. You just need creativity and a monetizable skill. I think the concept of success and failure is really interesting. And when people talk about failures in business, it's like, who says I failed? Or what is failure? Unless it's like something really clear cut, like you failed an exam or something. But when you go out on your own and you decide, hang on, I'm going to create my own rules and my own version of success. And actually success to me means spending time with my family in the evenings, on the weekends. And it's not just monetary success. I don't particularly care for the prestige of this place or that role. How has your definition of success changed throughout your career, Sarah? Mm, this is a great question. It definitely has changed. I think ultimately, when you when you you know when you're born, you go through childhood and and so on. You are in a certain mode. You know, you are being tasked to think in a certain way and program wired to think certain things, and you attribute success to money, prestige, job titles. And then when adulthood hits you in the face, you kind of, with time and experience, you come to realize that, you know, not everything you were told necessarily aligns with what makes you happy or or what you consider success these days. So for me, for example, it definitely has changed. I, um, I used to see myself, especially coming from a working class background, I used to see myself as obviously becoming more financially wealthy than my parents and, and grandparents because I owe them that, you know, I owe yeah. them to 
overcome the, the financial means they didn't have. And so I had to become a lawyer. I had to get a corporate job. And then from there, I had to go through the corporate ladder and become a C-suite member. And yeah, I mean, in 2021, when I decided to make my career shift, I realized that it just this life wasn't for me. Yeah. And now I'm a much happier person earning less than I would have if I had pursued that route. Yeah. Because I get to do the things I enjoy and I have more time for myself, for my family, my personal life. And I also feel that I have more impact, you know, when I help someone land a client, build a visibility and really become their authentic self on social media and and get the the right clients on the back of it. That means much more than being a C-suite member and earning a six-figure salary. So I think success means different things for different people. We just have to be very open about that and show to especially younger generations that, yeah, you don't have to become the doctor, the engineer, the lawyer in the room. If you love fashion design, then become a fashion designer. Create that path. Post your creations on on, on social media. See what happens. We create our own successes by being very self-aware and, I guess, putting things into motion as well. Yes, being self-aware and putting things in motion, that's so key. It's hard work, but it's worth it. Yeah, it is. But there's no there's no rush as such, you know. It's, uh, again, incrementally, things happen with time. It's from zero to one every day. When you're patient and, yeah, like, you don't need to worry. I think, you know, the breakthrough will eventually come if you have this kind of long-term mindset. What are your long-term goals, Sarah? I think I would definitely, maybe a two types of goals. Number one is definitely making a decent living of my side hustle, my yes. business. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we all need money. Let's be realistic, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And I have no intention of going back to uh, a poor life. (laughs) No. (laughs) When I was a law student, I have no intention of going back to that standard. So yeah, of, of course, you know, making sustainable income from it. But more importantly, I think having impact, you know, knowing that I bring some impact and value to 100 legal professionals a year. That's better than zero. So that's, I guess, the the kind of second, yeah, the second goal. And hopefully from there, driving more systemic industry-wide change in the way we do things in the legal industry. Cheers to that. Yeah. (laughs) Cheers to that. Very much here to support you every step of the way. Uh, Thank you so much, my lovely. Sarah, I've got three questions which I ask every guest. Number one is law who you know or what you know? Ooh, that's, um, I have to think about this one. Is law who you know, what you know? I would tend to say what you know, because ultimately it's a set of rules and, and, and reasoning, principles and exceptions that apply um, in a society. However, it's very different to be a legal professional being a successful legal business owner or a successful legal professional, even when you're employed. Because at the end of the day, legal services are a byproduct to a business outcome. And I think one thing that law school really fails to teach is how the things that we learn, how the what we know links to the why it matters, which is the business outcomes. Yeah. And there's a big gap there. We aren't in the business of providing 
legal advice, really. We are in the business of solving business problems using legal services. So that's a fundamental shift that we have to embrace to become successful. Ooh, I love how everyone answers this question. What do you wish you could tell your younger self? I would tell her to um, stop people pleasing, to fully own who she is and, and, um, and what makes her special and document that journey a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah. And what is your advice to others aspiring to follow in your fabulous footsteps? Definitely document that journey as early as you can. Uh, don't think that you're ever too junior or too amateurish to, to, to get going. Um, what matters is the journey rather than the destination. Although it's good to have those wins and achievements over time because it, that's what keeps you going and gives you the momentum. But ultimately, you know, when you look back, you don't really remember the achievements. You remember the challenges. And, you know, so really document those journeys, the highs, the lows, uh, share them online, build your personal profile because no one else is going to do it for you. And that's your insurance policy. And also see how it unfolds uh, mm. because it really unfolds in very um, interesting ways, uh, whether help you getting the your dream job and or build a business around your passion and how this passion can help uh, people overcome challenges. Beautiful, beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Rose. It was great. I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. Now, there are two things that you can do today to help me spread the Rose Tinted Law message. The first thing I kindly ask you to do is share this episode with just one person in your network who you think may benefit from Sarah's advice today. That person may be struggling with how to find their unique place in the legal profession, or they may be dreaming of taking a leap of faith and taking their passion project to the next level just like Sarah and I have. The second thing you can do to help support my work is to like, subscribe and follow me on whichever platform you're listening to this and following my socials at Rose Tinted Law on Instagram and LinkedIn. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you.